Welcome to the sermon podcast of Paley Presbyterian Church. The following sermon is by Pastor Becca Bruner. Hey there, welcome once again to Paoli Presbyterian Church. My name is Becca, I'm one of the co-pastors here, and we're just so pleased that you have joined us for our service today. We begin our message together, turning to the Word of God. And as we've told you before in this series, we're using a different version of the Bible. We're, we're looking together at the message, a more contemporary rendering of the words of Scripture. And many of you, I know, came and picked up one of these copies. You're reading along with us, and we're so pleased. Uh, but if you don't have a copy and you'd like one, or you got one of those these versions that have really, really small print, uh, we want you to know that we've ordered some more. Starting on Monday here at the church, you can swing by, pick one up, uh, get one to take home to be reading along with us. You can always uh, also find the, the message version of scripture. It's online. BibleGateway.com is a, a website I often use. Or on many Bible apps on your phone, the message version is there. However you read scripture, we just hope that you are reading scripture, that you're reading along with us, uh, that you're taking notes, that you're letting these words kind of enter into your head and find their way down into your heart. That's just so very important for us as individuals and as a community to be really, really rooted in, in scripture. So we're going to turn to these words of scripture now together. We're going to start uh, in the Old Testament. Prophet Isaiah chapter 45, starting at the 18th verse. Listen to the word of God. God, creator of the heavens, he is, remember, God, maker of earth. He put it on its foundations, built it from scratch. He didn't go to all that trouble just to leave it empty, nothing in it. He made it to be lived in. This God says, I am God, the one and only. I don't just talk to myself or mumble under my breath. I never told Jacob, seek me in emptiness, in dark nothingness. I am God. I work out in the open, saying what's right, setting things right. So gather around, come on in, all you refugees and castoffs. They don't seem to know much, do they? Those who carry around their no-good blocks of wood, praying for help from a dead stick. So tell me what you think. Look at the evidence. Put your heads together. Make your case. Who told you, and a long time ago, what's going on here? Who made sense of things for you? Wasn't I the one? God? had to be me. I'm the only one there is. The only God who does things right and knows how to help. So turn to me and be helped, be saved. Everyone, whoever and wherever you are. I am God. The only God there is. The one and only. I promise in my own name. Every word out of my mouth does what it says. I never take back what I say. Everyone is going to end up kneeling before me. Everyone is going to end up saying of me, yes, salvation and strength are in God. All who have raged against him will be brought before him, disgraced by their unbelief. And all who are connected with Israel will have a robust, praising, good life in God. 
We'll turn now to Jesus' words in the New Testament. Luke 11, starting at verse 9. Jesus says, Here's what I'm saying. Ask, and you'll get. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and the door will open. Don't bargain with God. Be direct. Ask for what you need. This is, this is not a, a cat-and-mouse hide-and-seek game that we're in. If your little boy asks for a serving of fish, do you, do you scare him with a live snake on his plate? Or if, you're, if your little girl asks for an egg, do you trick her with a spider? As bad as you are, you wouldn't think of such a thing. You're at least decent to your own children. And so don't you think, don't you think the Father who conceived you in love will give you the Holy Spirit when you ask him. Let's pray together. God, we pray today that these words would be indeed your words by the power of the Holy Spirit. Speak to us, Lord, and open our ears to hear and our hearts to receive the word that you have for each one of us. And we ask, we ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, we are continuing this week in our series on the oldest and most widely used statements in the Christian faith, the Apostles' Creed. Now, where exactly did it come from and, and when was it all put together, we're not actually 100% sure. What we do know is that in that early church, as they struggled with pressures from within and, and persecutions from without, there emerged this brief statement of faith that was used to, to teach new believers as they prepared for their baptism. And it was used to, to help more mature believers, to help them kind of recognize and avoid distorted versions of the Christian faith. And over time, this, this statement has become known as the Apostles' Creed, and it's recognized by virtually all Christians of all denominations all around the world. And as we talked about last week, it's really helpful for us to know the Apostles' Creed. It's helpful for us to understand it because it does a number of good things for us. One, the, the Creed gives us clarity. Through the creed, we, we come to more fully understand that the real and true content of the Christian faith gives us clarity. It also gives us symmetry, gives us proper balance in how we think about, about who God is and, and how we relate to him. And the creed gives us community. For every time we say the creed, we are standing shoulder to shoulder with, with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ throughout all time and across the globe. The creed really unites us all. So last week we considered the, the first two words in the creed, I believe, and those are such important words, but we can't stop there. Because belief always must have an object, someone or something that we believe in. And the object of our creed, of our belief, in the words of the prophet Isaiah, is the one God. The only God there is, the God of the Old and New Testament, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God. 
in the creed, we proclaim, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. So the question we have before us today is, who is this God? What's he like? And here's what we're going to say about him today. Here's how we're going to answer that question. We've got a, got a thesis statement for today's sermon that kind of gives us our outline that we're going to follow. So if you're a note taker, get ready, get those pencils out, right? Here it is. The, the, the creed teaches us, and, and in fact, scripture teaches us that our God is an infinitely powerful, intensely relational father. Say that again for you note takers out there. God, our God, the God of the Bible, the God of the Old and the New Testament, the God of the creed, the God we say we believe in, is an infinitely powerful, intensely relational father. So we're going to break that down a little bit. In the Apostles' Creed, we affirm that God is infinitely powerful. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. We are saying that we believe that God is infinitely powerful, powerful enough to create all things, powerful enough to sustain all things, powerful enough to rule over all things. God is the almighty creator everything. Everything seen and unseen. It all comes from him. God, Isaiah says, God, creator of the heavens, maker of earth, he put it on its foundations. He built it from scratch. Everything that exists was created by God. That's what Genesis 1 tells us, that God spoke the entire cosmos into being. God said, and it was. God said, and it was over and over and over again. Now, there's not time to get into all the details about this today, but I know that some of you all are asking the question, so I'm going to just say this, this little brief thing. You're asking, whoa, whoa, okay, God created it all, but what about science, right? What about evolution? What about the Big Bang Theory? What about all those things, right? Those are really, really great questions. Those are really, really important questions. Those are questions that we have explored in, in sermons and classes in the past, and those are questions we are going to continue to explore in the future, I am quite sure. But for today, what I want to point out is, is that those questions of science, evolution, Big Bang, all those questions, those are how questions, right? How did the world come into being? How was the universe created? By what observable processes did all of this happen? And those are good questions. However, the creed and the Bible really isn't actually particularly interested in answering the how questions. That's not why the Bible was written. The question the Bible is after is who? Who created the heavens and the earth? And our faith tells us that there is only one who is powerful enough to do it, and that is our God. Only God has the power to create. Think about it this way. Think about who are some of the most 
creative human beings who have ever lived? Who, are, who, are, who would you say? Who are some of the most creative artists who have ever existed? You, as, as you think about that, you may be thinking about names like Michelangelo, or Da Vinci, Bach, Beethoven. Incredible artists, incredible creators, some might say. But as great as every single one of those artists were, as great as some of the artists of today are, I would say that none of them are actually creators. What they are, are rearrangers. They take the things that already exist and they make something else from them. They rearrange them. Only God took nothing and made something. Only God has the power to create. God is powerful enough to create all things. God is powerful enough to sustain all things. It's a really important detail here to remember. Our faith in God as creator doesn't mean that we believe that God created the universe all those many, many, many years ago and then just left it unattended. God isn't like some old, old-fashioned watchmaker who, who makes and then just winds up a, a clock only to just walk away and, and leave it running without needing any further attention. No. Now, scripture attests that, that, that God is, is faithfully, continually, actively caring for all of his creation. And that includes us. God is the infinitely powerful creator and sustainer of all things. And God is the infinitely powerful ruler over all things. What we're talking about here is the, the Christian doctrine of what's called the sovereignty of God. The God of the Bible is a God who rules, who reigns. The God who is Lord of all. I know that there may be some of us who might kind of bristle at the idea of an all-powerful, all-ruling God. We like to think of ourselves as kind of being in charge of our own selves, right? We're, we're the captain of our ship, the, the master of our fate. And, and so the idea of a, of a powerful, sovereign God, well, that may feel offensive to our cherished ideals a free will. So if that's you, I, I think you'll appreciate what theologian Ben Myers has to say about God's power. It's kind of a long passage I'm going to read to you here, so just listen closely. It's worth it. He writes, Power is no longer a nice word. It has a decidedly sinister ring to it. When we speak of power, we tend to think of dangerous relationships or of wider systems of domination or control. But that's not how might or power is understood in Christian teaching. This is not like the power of the pagan gods who intervened in the world from time to time. No, God's might is everywhere present in creation. It is the underlying mystery of everything that exists. It's not just a solution to the problems of this world. It's the reason that there's a world at all. See, we could not really trust in God if God's power were limited or sporadic or unpredictable. 
That's the problem with trying to place any limitations on God's power. If God's power were just one power among others, if if God were mighty but not almighty, well then divine power would end up being another form of manipulation or control. Only a God who is totally free and totally sovereign can relate to the world with total love, patience, and generosity. True power is not the ability to control. Controlling behavior is a sign of weakness and insecurity. True power is the ability to love and enable without reserve. God's power is like the power of a good parent or teacher. It's the capacity to nourish other agents and help their freedom to grow. Without the sovereignty of a good parent, children have a diminished sense of their own worth and their own agency. In the same way, God's sovereignty is what secures human freedom, not what threatens it. In the Apostles' Creed, we proclaim that we believe in a God who is infinitely powerful. Which means, among other things, that God is worthy. God is worthy. God is worthy of our worship. God is worthy of our allegiance. God is worthy of our trust. God is worthy of our lives. Our God is worthy, not only because he is infinitely powerful, but because God is intensely relational. You may have noticed this already, but I'll point it out to you if you haven't yet. Uh, the creed as a whole, when you look at it, is it, it takes a Trinitarian shape. By which I mean it, it follows the Trinity. It talks about God the Father, then it talks about God the Son, then it talks about God the Holy Spirit. That's not an accident. The Trinity has been a, a core tenet of the Christian faith from the very beginning. We believe that we worship one God who has made himself known to us in three distinct yet interrelated persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And here's why that's important. The Trinity. The Trinity shows us that from all time, God has always been intensely relational. See, the Trinity helps us understand that there is this, this deep love, this intense relationality within the very nature of who God is. The Father loves the Son. The Son and the Father together, they love the Spirit who in turn loves them right back. For all eternity, God has, has been this kind of community, this, this circle of un ending love. They knew and they loved and they enjoyed one another from the very beginning. And then one day they said, you know what, Let, let's expand this circle. Let's, let's create beings so that we can welcome them into this love. The triune God of love created human beings, not because, because God was, was lonely and just needed somebody to love, no. Rather, the love that God experienced within himself was so good, was so great, was overflowing so much that he had to share it. And so God created us. 
So what does that mean for us? Well, it means that we were created in love. We were created by love. We were created with love. We were created for love. It means we were created to be in relationship with our intensely relational God. The French writer Blase Pascal put it like this. He says, there is a God-shaped gap in each of us. In other words, we've been created with an inbuilt capacity to be in relationship with God. That's just who we are. To fulfill our human potential means we need to relate to God. And we will remain unsatisfied and unfulfilled until we do. Until we enter into relationship with the God who created us, the God who redeemed us. St. Augustine said it well when he wrote, You have made us for yourself, O God. And our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. You know, many, many, many writers over the years, and many, many recently, have written pretty poignantly of the human tragedy, the sense of loneliness and lostness and isolation felt by so many people in our world today. It's what we around here refer to as relational poverty. That's what we're trying to end. It's real, and it's devastating. And among all the world's religions, Christianity alone is the one that affirms that this situation of loneliness and isolation can be transformed, can be transformed when we enter into a personal relationship with God who created the world and created each and every one of us. God, our God, is an infinitely powerful, intensely relational Father. God's our Father. Now, when we refer to God as Father, we don't mean that God has a gender. Nor do we mean that every action of earthly fathers is an accurate reflection of our heavenly father. Neither one of those things are true. The reason we call God Father, really simply, is because Jesus did so. And he invited us to join him. You know, it's interesting, in the Old Testament, God is referred to as Father only 15 times, but in the Gospel, Jesus calls God Father some 170 times. It was Jesus' favorite way of referring to God, to speaking about God and, and speaking to God. And when Jesus spoke of God as Father, he used the, the Hebrew word Abba. Abba is, is, the, is the word that back then and even now a, a Jewish boy or girl would use to address their dad. And just like it is with English-speaking children, whose first words are always dada, much to their long-suffering mother's great chagrin, just in that same way that the little baby mouth can form the word dada so easily, that's that same word, abba. Just imagine that little infant mouth just wrapping their, their lips around that first word, abba. Father. Dada. 
far as we know, no other religious leader before or since Jesus has ever suggested that we speak to God in this way, with such intimacy and affection and, and trust. But that's the God Jesus taught us to believe in. That's the God that, that Jesus taught us to pray to. Now, I know. I know that there are some who are listening to this message today for whom this is kind of hard. Not all of our earthly fathers have, have lived up to this, this high ideal. It's a painful reality that, that there are some earthly fathers who, who abandon their children. There are some who abuse their children. There are some of our fathers who have caused us deep and real and lasting pain. And if that's you, I understand. I understand if you grew up with a father like that, why it, it might be really, really hard to, to think of God as father. But I want to say, I want to say that the, the heavenly father that Jesus reveals is, 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 is infinitely better than any, any earthly father. I mean, Jesus said it. He said, as bad as you are, you wouldn't, you wouldn't think of such a thing. You're at least decent to your children. And don't you think, don't you think that the Father who conceived you in love will give the Holy Spirit when you ask him? Reality is every earthly father has his limits. But our, our Heavenly Father has no limits. Every earthly father is a sinner in need of forgiveness, but our Heavenly Father is perfect. So when we proclaim, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, we're saying that we believe in a God who is infinitely powerful, intensely relational, that he's our Father. Some of you need to hear that today. Some of you need to know, you need to believe, and you need to be able to put your trust in the God that Jesus knew, the God that Jesus believed in, the God that Jesus trusted. Dallas Willard writes that, that Jesus lived a life of utter trust because he understood his father to be unfailingly competent and wholly devoted. And here's the striking result of that trust. He writes, with this magnificent God positioned among us, Jesus brings us the assurance that our universe is a perfectly safe place for us to be. Do you believe that? It may not feel like it at times. It may not feel like it today. But just because it feels that way doesn't mean it's not true. With this magnificent God positioned among us, our universe is a perfectly safe place for us to be. I'll close with this. Some years ago, I saw a movie, uh, some of you may have seen it, it's called The Bear. It's this great saga of a tiny bear cub whose mother dies. The cub survives, but as you're watching, you kind of think, oh, chances of this cub's survival aren't very good. Until this very surprising thing happens. This huge grizzly bear comes along and kind of more or less adopts the little cub. And that giant bear watches over him all the time. 
and it protects him. This mountain lion that's been stalking him, the, the grizzly comes along and, and protects him from it. And so since that happens, the cub follows the grizzly everywhere. And he, he, he kind of follows him as a father. And, and everything that giant bear does, that little cub follows right along and does it right with him. So like the, the grizzly goes in and, and is, is hunting for food in a stream. So you see the little cub pad his way in and kind of stab his paw right in, getting a fish right there with him. The, 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 the big bear stands on his, his hind legs and is scratching his back on a tree, and the little cub does the same, step by step, right by each other's side. But it happens one day that the grizzly and the cub, they get separated, and the little bear can't see his father anymore. And that mountain lion, that mountain lion that has never forgotten that little cub, he sees, ah, now it's my chance. And he comes swiftly, silently, face to face with the little cub. He's about to spring. And so this little cub, he does what he's seen his, his father, Grizzly Bear, do. He, he rears up on his little hind legs. He lifts his paw and he, he tries to growl fiercely, but the best he can manage is this frightened little squeak. The mountain lion, understandably, is not convinced both the cub and his attacker know he's about to die. The camera focuses on the mountain lion, whose face suddenly registers this look of terror. He stops snarling, he turns, and he runs away as fast as he can. And the camera returns now to the cub. He's as surprised as anybody watching. Did his growl really work that well? But the camera then pans back even more, and, and we see what we didn't know was there, what the little bear couldn't see. Behind that little cub is the great grizzly bear, standing on his hind legs, his massive body poised to save his son with a single swipe. And then we know that little bear had nothing to worry about. Though there was a moment when he couldn't see him, when he couldn't hear him, even yet the father was still there. That forest was a perfectly safe place for that cub to be. Friends, there will be times, and today might be one of those times for some of you, when life feels unsure, when the world feels unsafe. And in those moments, you may be tempted to think that you are all alone. That there is nobody who sees or cares that you are on your own. So when that happens, I want you to remember the bear. Remember that there is someone watching over you. You may not be able to see him or hear him, but you are never out of his sight. He is your infinitely powerful. You're intensely relational father and you are never out of his care so let's put our trust in him as we proclaim these beautiful words of our creed together i believe in god the father almighty maker of heaven and earth and in jesus christ his only son our lord who was conceived by the holy ghost born of the virgin mary suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven 
and sitteth on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. 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 Amen.